Hyatt, and in Liberty, Missouri, there's a bank that's now a museum, and you can walk into this bank, and the museum tells the story of a cold February day in 1866, when two men walked into that bank, one warmed his hands over the pot stove, the other sort of hovered in the corner, waiting for the lone customer in the bank to finish his business with the teller. And when that customer had uh, conducted his business and left, the, the man hovering in the corner made his way from the corner to the teller station, uh, pulled a pistol, a loaded pistol from his, his waist, and leaped over the, uh, the counter there and shoving the teller and, and forcing the teller's son who was also working in the bank into the vault that they had in the back of the room and, and handed them a bag and ordered them to load all the cash in that bank into the bag. Those two men then ran from the building, closed the vault door, mistakenly believing that they had locked the teller and his son in the bank vault, ran from the bank, uh, reunited with the rest of their, their gang, rendezvoused, I guess, right? That's how you're, yeah, anyway. They got back with the rest of their gang and rode out of town, firing guns in the air, riding away with the first six successful daytime bank robbery in United States history where Frank James and his brother Jesse James and their gang made away with over $60,000, which would be millions of dollars in today's money. And, and uh, they just uh, sort of exemplified in that moment what we know best about Jesse James and, and his brother from history, that they lived much of their life with this sort of mindset, this worldview that said, what's yours is mine, and we'll go ahead and take that. I was thinking about moms as we uh, prepared for this uh, worship service and this message on Mother's Day, and so I was reading different articles and, and, and whatnot about moms and the experiences they have. I read one article about a mom who has her little son, her young preschool son, in a, in a co-op preschool. This is sort of a homeschool kind of preschool setting sort of deal where parents uh, cooperate together to, to have this preschool class, uh, you know, three days a week or whatever the schedule is. And, and so different parents lead this preschool on different days. And, and so like any preschool or organization, there have to be rules the, so that, you know, that sort of everything seems pretty much the same when one group of parents is leading this preschool on Monday and then a different group of parents is leading the preschool on Wednesday. And so one of the rules they have with, is that when kids go to play with a toy, it's sort of first come, first serve. So if little Johnny wants to play with the red truck on that day, and he has the red truck, and he's playing with it, then little Johnny gets to play with the red truck until he's done playing with the truck. That means that if Susie wants to come and, and say, hey, I'd, I would like to play with the red truck, uh, you know, she doesn't get to until Johnny is finished with the red truck, or vice versa. And uh, even if Johnny has to leave for whatever reason, he, you know, the toy goes in the saving box, and they save that toy for the, the student. Now, that seemed odd to me, I guess. You know, you, my mind sort of raced back to everything you learned, you needed to know, you learned in kindergarten. We think we want to teach our kids how to share, and, and it seems to me that you'd want to tell Johnny, hey, if... if you know, Sally or George or whoever it is wants to play with the red truck, maybe you ought to share the red truck with them. And, uh, and, and I guess there's, there's lessons to be learned both ways, but this preschool is, is I think, uh, they're teaching their, their kids that to have this mindset that what's mine is mine. 
Jesus was teaching one day when a, a religious leader, this expert in the law, asked him a question. I suppose it's really the only question that matters in all of eternity. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, essentially, you're an expert. You've studied God's word. You know the law. What does the law say? And the expert in the law said, well, you, you have to love God with, with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your spirit. And you need to love others as yourself. And Jesus said, yeah, absolutely, that's, you're correct. That's what the law says. Go and, and, and do that. Uh, the man was a little bit troubled by this, and so he wanted to sort of narrow the parameters of the discussion. He said, well, then who's my neighbor? You know, who am I supposed to love? And, and Jesus, in turn, told him a story about a, a Jewish man who was leaving Jerusalem and was traveling down this road to Jericho. And on the way, uh, he encountered some robbers who mugged him, who beat him up and took everything he had. And they, they beat him so severely that they left him on the side of the road, assuming that he was dead. He was alive, though, and so he was uh, obviously relieved when he saw a priest making his way down that same road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Probably was not as relieved when that priest crossed to the other side of the road and just kept going. An hour or so later, or a little longer perhaps even, a Levi made his way down that same road and did the exact same thing. He saw the man in obvious need, and he crossed to the other side of the road and just kept going. Later in the day, a Samaritan, uh, historically uh, an enemy of the Jews, uh, came down that road and he saw that man in obvious need and he stopped and he helped him. He, he bandaged him up as best he could and he, he loaded the man onto his donkey and he rode him into town where he, he took care of him for that e evening in the, in the inn. And then when he had to leave the next day, he paid the innkeeper to, to care for that man and, and told him, this is enough for a few days and I'll come back and I'll pay whatever expenses you have and care for this man. And, and Jesus asked the expert in the law, well, who of those three individuals was a neighbor to this man in need? And uh, the expert in the law said, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus simply said, go and do Likewise, Jesus wanted to teach this expert in the law that he could sort of cut through all the rules and all the, all the law and get to the heart of the matter that he could live a life with a mindset that said, what's mine is yours. And I think that's the call that Jesus makes to every one of us, that he desires for us to live with a mindset, with a worldview that says we can share our resources, our time, and our talent. We can share those things that God has given us with others. We can live with a mindset that says what's mine is yours. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to Luke chapter 10. We'll be working our way through verses 25 through 37. It's the story that Jesus told of this good Samaritan, that we know the story as the good Samaritan. And, and Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And this section of Scripture, I think, teaches us two principles that uh, when we learn these principles and we, when we live them out, we can live uh, life with a mindset that says, uh, what's mine is yours, and we can share what God has given us with, with others around us. We can, we can love our neighbors well. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Let's go ahead and read what uh, God's word has to say. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to the test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, uh, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, so too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Two principles that I think are taught in this section of scripture. Principle number one is to stop paralysis by analysis. Sometimes we get so worried about having the right answer that we forget to do anything that we know we ought to be doing. And, and that's sort of the trap that the, the expert in the law had fallen into, or, or maybe it's the trap that he was setting. Verse 25 says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm not really sure what it, it's meant, what it means that this guy stood up to test Jesus. I suppose there's different reasons that this guy could have been there to, to listen to Jesus. He could have been a spy sent by the religious elite in Jerusalem to figure out who in the world this Jesus guy really was. He could have been there to, to try to determine if this guy was trouble or not. Maybe he really was. When we read this word test and we think about the religious leaders in the Gospels, we assume that he had uh, ill intentions. And I suppose it, it's likely that he really was testing Jesus, that he was trying to trap Jesus to, to figure out, to, to make Jesus say something that he could use against him later. But maybe he just really had a legitimate question. Maybe he was asking this question that every one of us has asked at some point in time in our life. We might say it differently. We might say, what do I need to do to be right with God? You know, what, what do I need to do? Rick talked about those cosmic scales, and sometimes we think about life and eternity in those terms. And, and what do I have to do to sort of balance those scales? to make it weigh in, in my favor in the end. You know, what do I have to do for the guy upstairs to be okay with me? Well, that's essentially the question that this man is asking. He asks it like this, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And in verse 26, Jesus asks him a question, well, you're the expert, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? How, how do you read what the law, what God's word has to say? Verse 27, the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. So the man begins by quoting Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all that you are. He said that, that that's the first commandment. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. My youngest daughter, Zoe, 
has some interesting eating habits, at least interesting to me. You know, she's, she's a little bit odd. If, if she goes to a restaurant and she orders a chicken sandwich, she means she wants a chicken sandwich. She wants two pieces of bread with a piece of chicken in between, nothing else on that sandwich. If she builds a ham sandwich for her school lunch, it's going to be two plain pieces of bread with some ham in between. And I suppose I'm okay with that. I can roll with that. But when she goes uh, to make a school lunch with peanut butter, then she's going to make a peanut butter sandwich two pieces of bread and just peanut butter on one, one of those breads smushed together. This is a wrong thing to do. I mean, nobody, nobody really likes just a peanut butter sandwich. I mean, when you say, hey, I'm going to have a PB, you don't stop there, right? You're having a PB and J. There's a right way to do things in life. Nobody wants just a peanut butter sandwich. Nobody really wants even just a jelly sandwich. You want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. These two things just sort of naturally go together. And when they are smushed together, that's wonderful goodness, right? Well, the same thing's true with this most important law. When, when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, he said, love the, love the Lord your God with all that you are. He said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The deal is you can't really do one without doing the other. You know, they sort of need to be smushed together to, to really be lived out. Uh, and and uh, the, so the religious leader, the expert in the law was right that, hey, this is what matters most. And, and Jesus said, just do this and you will live. But when he said in verse 28, do this and you will live, it's a little bit more than that. It loses a little bit literally in translation. Jesus was saying, do this perfectly and you will live. Well, when we think about loving our neighbors, we can, we can get on board with, with loving our neighbors because Tom who lives across the street, I like him pretty well and he lets me use his weed eater. You know, Harry down the road, he's kind of a jerk. Well, loving your neighbor perfectly means loving Tom for sure, but loving Harry maybe even more. You know, loving the person who is difficult to love, love perfectly. You know, it's a little bit like laundry in our house. We have, we have uh, teenage son and teenage daughters. They all play baseball and softball. And, and when they come home from, from baseball and softball, their uniforms are a mess. If you have kids who do this or you used to play, you remember this. And it's just a, a disaster. And, and so you have to take the uniform off and get it clean. And Sherry has this broken down. I wish I was more help, but I actually don't wish I was more help. I should be more help but I'm not. Sherry's got this broken down to a science, you know, and she said, one day Clayton came home from a game. She said, oh, you need to go right down to the washing machine, take that stuff off, and put it in the washing machine. The washer is already started. Just lift the lid, drop the stuff in, close the lid. Well, Clayton went downstairs. He evidently took the uniform off, and he was going about whatever he had to do, and, and Sherry went down to check, because that's what moms do, right? Here are the instructions, I'll be by in 30 seconds to make sure you did that. You know, that's kind of how moms roll. And, and so Sherry went down, and, and she found in the pile of clothes in front of the washing machine his baseball uniform. He had come so close. You know, we were, we're excited. He, he's really making progress. But he, to do laundry perfectly, you have to actually put the laundry in the washing machine. Well, to love 
uh, perfectly. Love your neighbor. To go and do this perfectly means to, to, to love, you know, the people that are easy to love, our friends, you know, the people who love us back. But it means to, to love even those who aren't going to love us back. And the man, the expert in the law, he sensed that. He knew right away how difficult that really is. And so verse 29 comes as no surprise. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to narrow the parameters. You know, when, when Tom loans me his weed eater, I love him. But maybe not the guy down the road who's just obnoxious all the time. It's harder to love him. And so in reply, that phrase is interesting because it, uh, maybe a better translation would be that Jesus took up the debate. You know, we don't often think about Jesus debating or, or whatever, but there are some things that are so important that it's worth having that hard discussion. And, and for sure, the, these ideas, to love God with all that we are and then to love our neighbor as ourselves, Jesus said that's the whole of the, of the law. That's all that really matters. And so it's absolutely worth having this conversation. It's absolutely worth, worth this debate. And Jesus told him this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, as far as we know, this is a fictitious story. Jesus is telling this parable. He's just creating this scenario to make a point. And, and so it's a fictitious story, but it could be based in fact because everybody knew that this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious for robbers being on it. There were many turns and hills. There were all kinds of spots, in short, where thieves could hang out and do their business unseen by anybody else who was happening down that road. And so it was a dangerous place to travel. And this man traveling alone was sort of putting himself in a difficult predicament, and he was mugged. He was attacked by these robbers who took everything he had, beat him, stripped him, left him on the side of the road for dead. In verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the side on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, I suppose if I'm telling the story and I'm thinking of, you know, if, if I'm in an accident, if I'm mugged, who do I want to happen by? Well, I suppose if I'm telling the story, I want a doctor or a nurse or a paramedic, a fireman, a, a, you know, somebody like that to happen by. But in, for Jesus' audience, well, this priest would be a pretty good deal. This guy is educated, and he's educated in the law, and he's supposed to be living out these two commands, to love God with all that he is and to love others as himself. But this priest, when he sees the man lying on the side of the road in obvious need, crosses to the other side and keeps going. But Levi does the same. This is a little bit difficult language for us, maybe a priest and a Levi. Who are these folks? What are they supposed to be doing? If you're putting them in today's terms, maybe they would be elders and ministry team leaders here at Wallula. That's sort of the functions they had. Uh, priests were sort of overseers of the spiritual life of the temple. They, they officiated the, the services and the sacrifices and all of that sort of thing. The Levi's, their responsibility was sort of the day-to-day tasks, everything that keeps the business of the temple going. And so you sort of break it down in the same way. These are, these are folks that are supposed to be living out these two values in their life, but both cross to the other side and keep going. 
but a Samaritan, a guy who historically the Samaritans and the Jewish people did not get along. Uh, the Jewish people didn't uh, accept Samaritan worship. They, they uh, didn't accept them ethnically, and, and the, it was just a conflict for years and years. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He didn't stop there, though. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You know, there, there are a couple of people in this, in this story who should have known better. You know, the, the priest and the Levi, they should have known the answers. Maybe we can give them a break, right? Maybe there's this sliver of uh, silver lining in the story because these guys were responsible for the, the worship in the temple. And so to help this guy who maybe was dead, maybe they thought he was dead, maybe they didn't realize he was just hurt, but to help this guy who was injured or dead would have left them ceremonially unclean for service in the temple. So maybe we could give them sort of this little bit of pass. I don't think that passes muster in Jesus' eyes. You know, Jesus was the kind of guy who, you know, would kind of bend the rules about the Sabbath and whatnot when there was a bigger picture issue at hand. And this is for sure a situation where there's a bigger picture issue at hand. But not only that, notice that these guys were coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, their service in the temple was finished. There's not even that little excuse left for these two guys in the story. Man, they should have known. And I wonder if they were just frozen by trying to figure out if that next step was the right step or what they should do. Sometimes we get in a place where we think, I just need, I have to have more information before I take this step. And Jesus, I think what the Good Samaritan story is saying, look, everybody knew, even, even the Samaritan knew, love God, love others. And if the first uh, principle is to stop paralysis by analysis, and the second principle follows quickly behind, which is just to start being neighborly, to start being a neighbor to the folks around us, to love others just like we love ourselves. Jesus asked the expert in the law in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of a robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus asks the expert a question again and allows him to sort of work through this. The, the expert understood what it meant to be a neighbor, what it meant to, to love the folks around him. And Jesus told him simply, go and do likewise. Go and start doing that. Live like a neighbor to the folks around you. Uh, maybe that's why I'm so excited about this next series, What If the Church, there's some uh, pocket guides to that series on chairs around you. There's some at the next step station and on tables in, in the foyer. We'd love for you to take one of those and, and just uh, look forward to the, the topics we'll be talking about uh, every Sunday for the next five weeks. And, and just as we begin to really unpack what it means to be a neighbor, what it means to, to love those folks around us, sometimes just like the Good Samaritan, we encounter somebody in our path who just 
needs our love. I, I told you before, I've got uh, two kids in high school, a sophomore and a freshman. They ride to school together. They pass each other in the hallways. Next year, they're even going to have a class together, which I think will be sort of interesting, more interesting for our family than maybe for the teacher, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, because sometimes, uh, you know, Lacey will come home from school and she'll say, Dad, Clayton was such a jerk today. Well, what did Clayton do? Well, I walked by him in the hallway, and I said, hello, how's it going? And he just kept going. He didn't say hi to me. And so I have to have the conversation with Clayton. Look, you know, if one of your other friends walked by and said hello, you wouldn't just keep going. You're not that cool. Just be nice to your sister. You know, over and over, right? It's just, just love the person who's put in your path. Sometimes, though, we have to intentionally even more than that, we have to intentionally go down the road. We've got to take the steps down the road to, to Jericho just looking for someone to serve. You know, the, the, what, if our, what if the church blesses our neighborhood will help us to do both of those things. It'll, it'll help us to think about how serving at stuff like, you know, these third Thursday meals or the homeless shelter or uh, this mission trip to Mexico or vacation Bible school here at Wallula are sort of those intentional steps to, to step out in a way that maybe we don't do every day, to start down that road to Jericho, to find folks who need to experience the love of Jesus. Sometimes God's just going to place them in our path. They're right around us. They're even in our own house. And for sure, we ought to be a neighbor to them. And we need to share the love of Jesus. And sometimes we've got to stretch ourselves and start down that road to Jericho to find uh, other places. We don't need to have all the answers. We've got a, a buddy who started to attend here at Wallula Christian Church. We, we uh, invited this family to come on Easter Sunday, and they've been several times since then. Uh, his son plays baseball with, with my son, and so we uh, invited them to church. And I saw him at a ball game the other day, and he said, Hey, Lance, you know, when you were driving here, did you see these billboards on the way, these signs? And I said, No, I didn't see them. And he said, I just want to know what you think about them. And I tried to get him to tell me what they said. You know, I'd, I didn't go that way. I didn't read those signs, but he, he wouldn't. He was, he was worried about, you know, uh, kind of what he thought and what I would think and all those sorts of things. And he, they just have so many questions, which is good and awesome. But sometimes we get ourselves in a place where we think, man, I've got to have the right answer to all of these questions before I do anything. And just know that there are all kinds of questions that we might think we need answers to. Know that there are so many questions about our big God that I have absolutely no idea about, all right? And that guys and people, men and women way smarter than me have no idea about, right? He's a big, big God. We're not gonna figure all this stuff out. But even a simple person like me can understand, love God with all that I am, and then love others like I love myself. Oh, this preacher and author and professor, Mark Moore, said it like this, if we don't do what we know is right, then all our correct answers to Bible questions won't get us one step closer to the kingdom of God. We just have to start being neighborly. When I was, uh, finished my freshman year in, in college, I, I came home to work that summer, and, and I was working several jobs. One of the jobs I had was in this card factory, which wasn't my favorite job in the world, 
ever, but it paid really well for a, a you know a kid in college, 19, 20 year old a kid. And, and uh, on that job, you could sometimes uh, work part of third shift that they'd pay you time and a half for a 20-year-old. That seemed like, uh, I mean, yeah, every time they said, hey, will somebody work uh, that third shift? I was like, yes, I will do that. And so I took all those shifts. And it came one stretch of time when I was working these other jobs as well. And, and everybody was scheduled at once. And I was, I was working part of the night and, and then going to work during the day. And, and I came home and I had to head out to this next job I had. And I was just worn out. And I was so worn out. I was grumpy. And I w- wanted to make sure that everybody around me knew that I was grumpy. It was that sort of attitude, right? And so I came in the house and I probably slammed the door and I put my stuff down and I went to change for the other job and I I started to storm out of the house again and and my mom asked this question, how dare she ask me this question? She said, Lance, do you want a sandwich? And I opened the door and slammed the door and I said, no, I don't want a sandwich, which are words that have never come out of my mouth before. And I stormed out. My, my folks have this wraparound deck, this wraparound porch on their house. And I, I, I was walking around the porch, and I, I got all the way around the house, you know, and I started down the steps to where my car was parked, and I thought, you are so stupid. You know, you have no business talking to your mother like that, right? All she wanted to know is, do you want a sandwich? And by the way, you probably want a sandwich, you know, so I made my way back to the house, and I opened the door, and I said, Mom, I'm sorry. I'm just tired. I shouldn't have talked like that. And you know what my mom did? She handed me a sandwich. Right? Because that's kind of what moms do, huh? I mean, I hope and I pray that you've had that experience just like me, to be influenced by a mom who just lived that mentality out that what's mine is yours. A mom who loved God and loves others just as well. I hope if it's not a mom that you've had a relationship with somebody who's led like that in your life, who loves God with all that they are, and who loves others, and who even when you're a jerk will make you a sandwich. Man, we can be those people. Let's stand and worship him together.